Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Michelle Jun. She is head of sales at Green Mill Supercritical. We're going to talk to her about the whole world of extracting. As I think most of our listeners know, a lot of our cannabis products these days come from extractions from the cannabis plant. And there are many ways to do that. And, and they all kind of have pros and cons, depending on what you want to achieve and what products you're producing and what you want to get out of the process. But you know, it's one of the more kind of scientific part of this industry and one of the most um, kind of innovative areas. Uh, lots of new technology coming out, lots of new processes. And it can be fascinating. It can also be a little complicated, <laughs> a little confusing. So <laughs> hopefully we'll have a little conversation here just kind of explaining what technology is in play, what are the options, and uh, why these options exist and, and where we're going as an industry. So with that, Michelle, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Bruce. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you on. So before we kind of dig into the world of extraction technologies and everything, why don't we get to know you a little bit? Tell us your background professionally. How did you get into cannabis? What was the story? Okay, so yeah, I have kind of a colorful background. I've done a lot of different things, but overall, I try to find industries where I'm you know, challenged, and then also somewhere where maybe females haven't gone before. So I started out at 18 in the Navy, 
my parents wanted me to do the traditional college thing. And I was like, you know, I have my own plans. And so, uh, yeah, I was one of the first females to do tactical communications for special warfare support. Um, So I was like one of 200 people at this command that I was with. They were all men. And so super challenging environment, uh, tested, you know, all my mental and physical abilities and kind of gave me a launch pad to, you know, or the confidence really to go forward in, in other industries where I probably didn't have any business. I went into spas, which was totally crazy in its own way, where it was very, <laughs> you know, spiritual and emotional. And I was like, okay, that's kind of not really my my jam, but I enjoy working with people. So then I was in cars, selling trucks in West Virginia and doing finance there. And then I met Greenmill and I wanted a position and wasn't really cut out for sales just yet because I didn't have the experience, but they gave me an opportunity. I started from the bottom and now here I am. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. And in terms of you're primarily focused on cannabis companies, so are, is there any any other non-cannabis companies that you've worked with in this in this area? Uh, we have quite a few hops customers, but typically uh-huh. it's just cannabis. It's interesting, it's exciting, and, and our systems are built really well yeah. to you know answer to the issues that cannabis has right now whether it's scientific advancement or information or whatever. Um, we're just trying to do things a little bit differently at Green Mill. Yeah, yeah. So give us a sense of kind of the world of extracting and extracting technologies. Like what are the kind of the options people have on the table? And then, you know, talk to us a little bit more about CO2 and why you've chosen to focus on that. What part of the market you're really kind of, you know, positioned for strategically mm-hmm. with the technology that you've developed? So in a broad sense, like there's three usual main ways to extract, right? You have your ethanol, you have your hydrocarbons, and you have CO2. And I think for a really long time, people have been kind of just approaching it all the same. I don't think that, and maybe I shouldn't say this like as a CO2 extraction salesperson, (laughs) but I don't think that there's any right answer to extraction, right? It just depends on what you're trying to achieve, you know, how much money you have in the bank, where you're at in the process. There's a different application for everyone. I think that that's pretty different than how most people think about purchasing equipment and everybody's just sort of looking for the easiest solution. And so as far as CO2 is concerned, why I really like CO2 is it gives you a, an immense range of flexibility if you can do it the right way. And so when you look at you know everything that you have available in the industry right now, whether it's CO2 or ethanol, there's not a lot of differentiation. Everybody's just sort of picking at it from the same angle, same sort of types of pumping systems, same lingo. When you get onto a sales call, you're going to hear the same things over and over and over again. Yeah. And so that gets frustrating for me because you know you're you're battling a lot of it's like it's like you have armies of salespeople out there all spewing the same thing and when yeah. you're trying to do something different to change somebody's mind is is almost impossible. So what we've done and what I really really love about Green Mill is we have just like a core passion of curiosity um, that drives our innovation. And then we're just a friendly group of people. And so making sure that we're totally transparent with how we do what we do Mm -hmm. has been just so valuable to us. And I think it's really starting to shake things up with the way that everything's been going, you know, with COVID and, and all of the craziness surrounding that. It's been so, so interesting to see like how it's changing the way these conversations happen and what's becoming more important to people that are shopping for equipment. Yeah. And what are the questions you're asking or what are the conversations you need to have or from a 
processor point of view, what are the things you're encouraging them to kind of think about or consider before they really kind of select or, or double down on a particular extracting technology? I always tell people to to gather as much information as possible. And then the other half of that is to question it. Because, you know, people can send you spec sheets and information and talk about, you know, this number and that number. But if they're not explaining it and they're not proving it, then it's kind of useless. And so I think that that is the most important part is getting yourself educated. And then insisting that the person that you're working with is a credible human being who yeah. understands what they're talking about. Because it's, you know, a lot of times you run into buzz phrases like highest flow rate and highest throughput. And that doesn't really mean anything if the equipment's not built to sustain those sorts of claims, you know? Yeah. And I'm so sure it's I always, hard. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah. CO2 in particular, I can't really speak to the other solvents because I don't have as much experience there, but CO2 Mm -hmm. is such a dynamic solvent to work with that it's incredibly difficult to produce equipment and extract the way that CO2 is really meant to be used. So to, to expect a layman to understand that and then know what questions to ask so that they're making the right decision is is a big ask. And so that's why I feel like, you know, is it's my responsibility at least to make sure that I am educating and being honest and upfront with, you know, what is available and and what might or might not work for them. Yeah. And CO2 technology, I mean, how long has this been around? I mean, is this coming out of other industries or give us a little sense of where this technology is being applied sort of broader oh than gosh. cannabis? I think CO2 extraction has been around for years and years and years, I can't remember how far back it goes, but I'd venture to guess at least, you know, 20 years, if not Uh way more than that. Other industries have used it for things like, you know, lavender extractions or Mm -hmm. even sanitizing things. Dry cleaning technically uses like a form of CO2 extraction if you really think about it. And so the technology and the idea behind it has always been there. But as far as cannabis is concerned, I feel like everybody's been sort of pulling from all these other places and then trying trying to apply it to cannabis. When we have a really great opportunity, a fresh start really, to introduce new technology and a better way of doing things and a better attitude too. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell us about the extraction process a little bit, because I think you know it's not about just you know putting the plant into a vessel and then out comes everything you want. I mean, there's depending on what you want to achieve. I mean, we've got mm-hmm. uh, THC, we've got CBD, we've got terpenes, we've got you know all sorts of organics in there. I mean, what what is the strategy or what is the process that you go through when you're extracting you know these these molecules from you know, a plant, a biomass. Sure. So it's crazy, right? Because the second you introduce CO2 to your biomass, it's going to start some type of extraction. It's going to start to solubilize that material. Mm-hmm. But what I think is most important about CO2 extraction is being able to maintain your density conditions. All of your extractions when you're using CO2 should be beta because at you know certain densities, certain compounds are going to fall out. Let's say terpene extraction. You know, uh, a lot of times in our in the world of CO two extraction, you have vendors that are recommending subcritical runs for terpenes, and basically that just means you're running subcritical conditions for for terpene collection. But we actually recommend using supercritical in a lot of applications. And I think one of the reasons, well, the most obvious reason is. If you do a low-density supercritical run, you're going to pull a lot less undesirable materials. So heavier you know, materials, fats, waxes that you're going to have to pull out later on. And I think that this kind of is a nod to our earlier sort of discussion about you know, the availability of new technology and then technology that can maintain the standards that you need it to. I think a big reason why, you know, in regards to terpene extraction, that people don't recommend supercritical CO2 is because 
a lot of the equipment out there cannot maintain the conditions to to do an extraction at that point. So when you're talking about CO2 extraction, yes, you have a ton of flexibility. Yes, you can set different density conditions. And, you know, with our system, you can do it three different ways at a time, which is valuable in and of itself. But but even if you can't do it three ways, you should at least be able to do it one way, one time consistently. And so that's something that I don't think really exists in many places when it comes to CO2 extraction equipment. Yeah. And I know, you know, a lot of the challenge with many of these processors now is just the pure volume. I mean, you know, I think it's one thing, you know, when we're when we're doing kind of craft artisan work and we're doing sort of small batches and creating, you know, kind of, you know, certain types of products at a low scale. You know, as we really start to ramp up this industry and, you know, looking at significant volumes of product that we're trying to produce, trying to process. Um, tell us a little bit about how that becomes a challenge, why that's a challenge, you know, in general, and then, you know, how do you manage that with CO2? Sure. So I think that part of the issue is that people think that they need to produce a lot more than they really do. And there's there's a kind of a couple of different points about this, right? So there's there's the actual idea of throughput in general. That can mean so many different things to different companies. But what's most important to me is, you know, whether you need to do 100 pounds a day, 5 pounds a day, 20 pounds a day, you need to do that every day. And the biggest sort of observation that I have when I'm consulting with, you know, potential customers is is downtime. And that is like, I can't tell you, it's probably, you know, nine times out of 10, that's going to come up in conversation. And so addressing, you know, throughput needs and making sure that customers have a way to continue to produce oil, it all starts from reliability of the equipment. Mm-hmm. And and then also understanding how that equipment works, because just because like flow rate is a big term that people throw around um, in the industry. And I think that, you know, at a glance, people might think higher flow rate, higher throughput, but what they usually don't know is that there is like an optimal flow rate for every system. And so if your system isn't built, like if the vessels aren't the optimal size to take on that flow rate, Uh then you're not going to get the highest throughput. And so, you know, going back to data and transparency, if, if you're a shopper and somebody tells you, you know, you can do, I don't know, 20 pounds in an hour or something crazy like that, or they're flowing like 4,000 kg a minute, like you kind of have to, you kind of have to ask why that's even necessary. Because to me, it's just not. It's not the most efficient way to go about things. And so it sounds like you really taking more sort of a, a systems approach and a, and a uh, full full cycle approach to thinking through your mm-hmm. processing. You know, ultimately, yeah. I mean, because it's going to be driven by a bottleneck, right? Like if you can have all the throughput you want, but if you can't, yeah, if you don't have a vessel is big enough, or you know, some other part of the process is going to be constrained, or you you have downtime because you've got to maintain this equipment. You know, that's right. going to affect your overall productivity. Right, and that's information that you can't really get unless you have like an honest sort of process and, and relationship with whoever you're talking to. So, you know, when I, whenever we're helping customers or, or people are shopping, it's like you have so many relationships that you have to maintain um, from a buyer standpoint. You know, you have your extraction system, you have all the lab equipment associated, you might need help with compliance, all of these pieces that need to go together. So it's really important that people are getting the correct information and all the information and not just sort of, you know, snippets here and there. Yeah. How much do you get involved in the actual kind of, I guess, overall kind of process design, facility design, you know, training and things like that? Because I think it's one thing to have this piece of equipment. It's another thing to have this piece of equipment in an overall process that is then in a facility that's well designed with people that know how to use it. I mean, it just seems like many pieces need to get need to be done well and done correctly in order to ultimately have a a highly functional processing uh, facility. 
Oh my gosh. Um, how involved do I get? It really depends. Um, I am pretty much at everyone's disposal, but we try to be as helpful as possible. We do help with lab design, formulation, method development, and that comes with purchasing our equipment. And I usually, if you, if you need somebody to really hold your hand, we work with a really close network of consultants in in all fields, whether it's cultivation, post-processing, even the legal side of things, we have connections for our customers, but I like to be as involved as possible. Just for the sake of, you know, knowing my customer and being able to help them in ways that maybe they don't know they need help. A lot of times, you know, people will be starting an extraction company and it's like they want to start all of their products at one time. And it's just not the most responsible way to go about things. So making sure that we're doing a thorough consultation, even to the point of assessing what products and when they might consider rolling out those products and and starting with which one first. Because, you know, vape pens are always going to be, I believe... A, a lucrative portion of the business and might be easier to market and sell than say starting with, I don't know, like a balm or even a water soluble. Cause mm-hmm. I don't know that, you know, cannabis infused drinks are as easy to get off the ground. Yep. Uh, so things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's kind of general investment pricing range on these things. I mean, what, to really stand up, uh, you know, a decent CO2 extraction sort of system, what what is what does the investment look like these days? You're probably looking at a minimum of 100K. Um, I know there's systems out there for less, but typically there's a lot of hidden cost when you're shopping for CO2 extraction equipment. So a lot of times, you know, you go into the situation thinking that the price that's advertised is the price of your whole setup, but that's not true. You have to pay for the extractor, the accumulator. Sometimes you have to pay for the chiller, training, and all these things. And so those are other important questions to ask. As far as Green Mill's concerned, you get everything in one package, minus shipping, of course. And so Making sure that you're accounting for those sorts of hidden costs, you know, making sure your equipment in the lab is properly sized and you're scaling that correctly. Like all of these little pieces are so important. So as far as the extractor itself, not terribly expensive, but then the whole sort of picture, CO2 is a bit pricier than than other methods. So whatever equipment you choose, I always tell people reliability is key. So if you're paying, you know, upfront for this equipment, then you need to make sure that that's going to last that you're going to have the support that you need if something ever were to happen and that you're not paying for, you know, more in maintenance than you would be in the actual system itself. Yeah. That I always find that that's that's the typical challenge is people, you know, you have the front capital cost, but then they don't factor in the total cost of ownership and and maintenance and training and and all those things. What, what is involved in, in maintaining these systems? Like what, what do you need to do with them on a regular basis? What allows them to function successfully on a long-term basis? Well, it's tough to say about competitor equipment um, because we do things just a little bit differently at Greenwell. So as far as what we do, we have very few moving pieces on our system. And the way that we designed it is exactly is to make sure that we don't have any of these maintenance issues that do run rampant in our space. So I actually, we did away with service plans because we just aren't able to sell them. And so I think that that speaks really speaks volumes because typically what you're looking at is, you know, replacing pumps. When you hop on any forum, you know, discussing CO2 extraction equipment, you're going to see maintenance issues, you know, pump failures, like unsafe pressure conditions with separator cups and and all like, it's just crazy actually. That, that these problems still exist when we're growing so much. And I think that that's part of um, buyer beware. Yeah, There are predatory salespeople out there. Um, so making sure that the equipment stands up 
to to the claims is super important. And if they're, you know, if people aren't willing to talk about it, then that should probably raise a red flag. Yeah. And why my understanding of one of the challenges of CO2 is just the, the level of pressure that you, you need to obtain to be able to successfully extract on this. I mean, what where are we with some of this technology? I mean, is this stuff that we've really mastered? Are we still kind of figuring out how to how to make these systems work? I mean, give us a sense of of kind of where we are in the evolution of the technology that we're working with with CO2. When you look at most equipment, they're using pumps that have like hydraulics, right? You're basically trying to force CO2, which is a really sensitive solvent, uh-huh. through a diaphragm pump, say. And it's just a really ineffective, way, really ineffective way of doing things. There's no thermal management. There's no data collection but to the actual process itself. And so what we've done is we do thermal management. We collect that data. We have a flow meter. And so typically what you're looking at as far as pressures, not only do you have, you know, a lot of things that have to come into play with engineering work to address safety because you are working with such high pressures. But then once you get to that pressure, maintaining it. And that's what I think a lot of systems struggle with is maintaining set conditions, whether it's pressure or temperature or flow rate. Um, So, you know, thinking about it from, from all angles, you know, what state of CO2 are you working with? How are you managing that temperature? Where is it going after it leaves your pump? Those are all things that when you look at a system, they should be accounted for. And quite frankly, they're just not anywhere else that I look. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, going back to runtime and, and bottlenecks and all of those things, it's like a huge trickle down effect from from the actual design of the system, right? Because let's take pumping, for example, a lot of these systems say, okay, runtime of 90 minutes every time, but that doesn't account for the time it takes to pressurize. And that goes directly back to the design of the system. Yeah. It's just sort of rudimentary design. Like I said, applying other industries to cannabis and botanical extraction is just, it's not conducive to what, you know, our customers need to achieve. So when you're working with a green mill extractor, we pressurize within three to five minutes every time, no matter how big the system is, and we can prove it. And so those are the kinds of things that I really like to bring up to customers is like, okay, well, there's the claim, but where's the proof? And that's the biggest takeaway, I think. Yeah. And uh, tell me a little bit about your facilities and, and operations. Where are you based? What is How many systems have you been producing? What's been sort of the growth of your company? So Green Mill is based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I'm probably one of the only transplant employees that we have. Everybody else has known each other for years. And so it, great, it makes for a really, really great work environment, company culture. And then I think that attitude is sort of, it definitely, definitely reaches our customers. I mean... Customer service is one of those things that I don't think people really talk about enough, yeah. and that's our game. And so Green Mill started in a garage, actually. It was like a pet project. Our founder decided that, you know what, there's a huge opportunity to make fast improvements in CO2 extraction. And so that's what he did. And so I think the company was born around 2016 in a garage, and then we moved to the dusty room like in a print shop very like Apple ask, right? So hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to (laughs) (laughs) to have that kind of impact. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But for now we're super happy with what we're doing. We just moved into a really cool building in Pittsburgh, another area of Pittsburgh, and that's where we hand build all our systems. And we have probably um, over 40 in the field right now, Mm -hmm. Um, anywhere from family businesses to very large, you know, MSOs or international. And it's been really exciting. And even through COVID we've, we've grown and we're able to help our customers virtually, which is crazy and exciting. But, but yeah, it's, it's a very, very neat place to be and a, and a really cool group of people to work with. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and where do you see the market going at this point? I mean, what's, you know, obviously we've got a couple of more States that are, it looks like they're going to come online with rec programs, adult use programs. I mean, do you see, 
the general industry increase helping your business? Are there particular parts of the industry that you're more interested or, or more are going to be more tied to in terms of growth? How, how do you apply that? Um, I think that people have to be a lot smarter with the way they spend money now. And so as far as like business is concerned, B2B is a little more difficult than B2C. And so making sure that, you know, we grow our industry connections is really important for our success, but then also continuing to educate and and sort of find ways to incorporate Green Mill outside of just selling equipment, right? We are heavily into research and development, finding new ways to push CO2 past, you know, boundaries and that sort of thing, because, you know, it, it's only growing. Like you said, with more states coming online, rec, and even other sort of medicinals in the future, I think that are gonna that are gonna be um, you know just as big as cannabis. Setting up at least our sort of support network for our customers in an educational way and an innovative way is going to be what lends us success or, or what brings us to success because you know, past are the days of, or long gone are the days of, of doing things the old way, right? Of just sort of slinging systems without any care for, for maintaining relationships or, or reputation. And so I'm focused on building a strong foundation for Green Mill um, in that way. And I think it's already proving to be valuable. Yeah. And um, where, I mean, if, if I were to kind of give you a magic wand and change something about the industry right now, mm-hmm. like what would you change? Like what, from your point of view, what would really help you know, either either grow the industry or change the industry in a positive way. What what do you see as things that need to be done to improve our the cannabis world? I think it would be helpful if there were more banking and financing opportunities for companies that are just getting started. Um, it's incredibly difficult to find funding um, and approval for financing. Um, so that's sort of one thing. But then also, you know, having a more collaborative approach. I think that there's a lot of people that aren't that aren't really open with what they're doing or what they're up to or curious about, whether it's, you know, in my world, you know, different methods of CO2 extraction or that sort of thing. But it really shoots us all in the foot when we don't work together. And so finding ways where, you know, cultivation and, and extraction, and we can all, I, I don't know, learn more about what we what each other does, give more, you know, better education opportunities to our customers and making sure that everybody's making decisions based on actual information and not either ego or some idea that doesn't have any real basis in in fact really like i don't i don't know how to describe that it's just we need more information and it needs to be more accessible yeah no i agree and Mm -hmm. if you know someone listening to the program here you know is a processor or or standing up a processing facility and is you know starting to look at the different technologies what were some of the questions that you'd suggest they really think about first before they get too far down the process of of making a, a selection I would ask for a full product demo, first of all. And I would honestly ask the salesperson if they have any experience or if they're just sort of reciting a script. Because you want somebody that you can trust, not only you know on a personal level, but also on an information level. Mm-hmm. Price point is important, but I wish that people didn't shop just based off of that. Because there are so many other things where... It'll increase cost at some point. Um, and so sticker price is something where, yeah, ask about it, but but don't let that be the, the main factor in your decision. And then, yeah, like I said before, just scrutinize those claims and don't settle for anything less than complete and full transparency. If they can't back it up, do not say yes. Always look for other answers, whether you get it from that company or, or a third party. Yeah. 
Michelle, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about Green Mill, what's the best way to get that information? So anybody can reach me by email. Um, it's just michelle at greenmillsupercritical.com or you can go to our website and contact us there or check out our product. It's just www.greenmillsupercritical.com. Excellent. I'll make sure that the link is in the show notes here so people can get that information. Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Bruce. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.